Hi, Gunnar. Welcome back. Hi, Adam. Thank you so much for having me again. I'm super excited. And how was the summer in Hamburg? How was the summer? Uh, well, pretty, pretty good, actually. So despite the idea of Hamburg always being rainy, it was pretty well. So, yeah. Okay. Enjoyed it. Actually, wrong answer. I would expect something like, you know, I hacked all the time. I had no idea how weather was outside. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. I see. Yeah, I will do that next time. <laughs> next time. Perfect. So, the... Uh, the most brutal question. When was the very first commit of Debezium? Oh, wow. That's that's really tough for me because I did not start the project. So this happened before I joined. But I would um, think in 2016, it must have been in this year. Almost. This was on November the 18th, 2015. By, 2015. Wow. Yeah, okay. Mr. Rauch. Right, so Ms. Uh, Randall, Randall Hauck, uh, he, he was the founder of um, Debezium. So yeah, he started even back then. That's well, interesting. So was... funny, funny fact is the Debezium Twitter handle, this is even registered earlier. So I think this is from 2014. So I'm always, I was wondering how this came to be because I think in this year, there was no idea about the project yet. And the name is genius, DBS. So DBs, DBsium. So DBsium, right. This, so the idea is to, you know, like an element, plutonium, uranium, yeah. and so on. Um, so there's DBsium. Yeah, perfect. And uh, you and and the Monsieur Rauch worked at Red Hat back then. Right. So Randall he was a exactly like a long-term colleague of mine, and then unfortunately he left. But um, well, he he founded the project. It got some good traction. And um, back in the day, I was working on different hibernates projects um i was working on beam validation as you know and yeah. then well when randall left um the opportunity came up for me to take over um Debezium and i was yeah very excited about it so i did it very cool and uh, you knew what randall did at red hat back then so it was like your colleague at hibernate team or uh no so he was not on the hibernate team but he uh, used to work on uh, well on Debezium and before that there was um a project called mode shape um and this was i think um for the the jcr spec this uh, content repository stuff um so it was related to that exactly this j j c j java content repository it was like a backend exactly. for, for cms oh this is his background okay and you have idea why he started the project four years ago um, I think, well, he was exploring the idea of uh, change data capture. And I think, um, well, it was quite quickly apparent that there are so many interesting use cases um, where this is a super useful tool to have in the box. And so he explored it and then, well, he presented it at, you know, internally to other colleagues. And there was yeah, lots, lots of interest really in this very quickly. So this had a very, very good start. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's how, how it came to be. So I, I'm 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 looking at the very first commits, and he started with my. <laughs> I, I've never seen that actually. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it is the uh, wait a sec. Uh, it is the page I think sixty or sixty-two of the commits. So you have around two thousand two hundred commits of Debezium. Right. And the very first he started to hack on Debezium Core and MySQL was the fourth commit. And uh, okay. So uh, so he I think he had something that was with uh, MySQL probably with JCR, and. Interesting approach because what I did back then is I, you know, I start I tried to install the update triggers for DB and if we had Oracle, okay. there was like advanced queue, I think, and uh, it was right. like a GMS-like system. So we uh, we stored the changes to the queue, which were replicated via GMS to uh, or or top GMS topics to all applications. So this is what we did. At, I think ten 
15 years ago something and uh, yeah. this is a similar idea but uh but more under the hood so you don't have to do anything right so uh, exactly so you are hooking into the bin lock in um my sequel and right. and uh, how it's called logical decoding thing right in postgres That's for Postgres, right? So that's the thing. I mean, so what we generally do is we get change events out of your database, right? And mm -hmm. then you can take those events like inserts, update, deletes, and um, react to those events. Usually it's propagated via Apache Kafka, but you can, you have some options there. And um, right, so there's no, there's no single way we would get the change events from a yeah. database, right? So it's different. For MySQL, as you say, it's the bin log. And I think that's why Randall started with that, because this used to be one of the first um, open and accessible APIs um, for that. Um, so there, there's the bin log for MySQL for Postgres. There's this logical decoding mechanism, which is very interesting because it's um, very flexible and you have different options there. But then again, it's different from Mongo and SQL Server and all the connectors we have. Um, so we have to do well, quite a lot of you know, exploration and, and investigation. How can we get changes out of the different databases? But then for a consumer, that's the good thing. This is really happening under the hood. So they don't really have to care about does this event uh, come from Postgres or MySQL because then the event representation, this is rather generic and abstract. So that's, yeah. that's all hidden under the hood. And uh, can, can you also detect reads? So read, read detection? It could be interesting, you know, for audits or something like uh, that. No, no. This is really about um, ch it changes, right? So if there's a new record, an updated record, or something is deleted, we will get that. Um, but no, if, if there's just like a select statement that would, I mean, the reason is this just doesn't show up in the transaction logs, right? So if you look at, let's say, to write a headlock in Postgres, well, you would have no notion of selects in there. Yeah, but uh, I think it could be possible, to, you know, to to plug into something else in Postgres or MySQL and, you know, translate the events to like read events and just post it to different Kafka topic, let's say, right? I guess you could somehow do it if, if there is a mechanism in the database. I wouldn't know how you would do it, but um, yeah, if you could hook into it, um, might be possible. But you also would have to, I mean, the sequence of events is very important, right? So you need to think about how yeah. you can synchronize those two streams. So I guess it wouldn't be trivial exactly. Uh, the, the use case is not that, you know, strange because what I remember a few years ago, there was a requirement where we had, where we have to uh, read the user principle and mm -hmm. uh, put it to a, Uh, thread and then in JDBC JDBC driver we read the principle changed the connection mm -hmm. so that in the database was obvious who does what because otherwise All right. because the otherwise the problem is if Java you, we have a connection pooling and uh, the connection pool runs uh, with a different user the the resource user right so this is absolutely why, yeah. yeah this is funny you say it because we just did a blog post on the Debezium blog which kind of is related to that so it's related to auditing and we do something similar so i mean if you look at a kafka topic which has the debezium change events then it's like an audit log right so you've got all the changes there so you know when something happened and what's like all the versions of your data but what you are missing is this metadata you mentioned like so what's the user or maybe their client ip address or device configuration and all this kind of metadata And so what we explored in the blog post is to have your application help out a bit with that. So similar to what you do. So in our case, 
um, we suggest, okay, this metadata gets just inserted into a separate table, which is written as part of the same transaction. Mm -hmm. And now this metadata table is um, keyed by the transaction ID. And then you can use um, stream processing, so Kafka streams or Flink or something like that, to correlate those change um, those those topics, right? So in the actual change events, we also have the transaction ID mm -hmm. as part of some metadata in there. And then you could use, for instance, Kafka streams to join those two topics and then to put the metadata from this separate table into the actual um, change events. Yeah. In, in my case, it was uh, a little bit harder because we used a Hibernate back then or Eclipse Link and it mm -hmm. was more or less transparent. <laughs> and all the database vendors, they have, I forgot the exact method, but it uh, sounds like switch user or something so that you, okay. you get yeah. you have to cast the jdbc connection to db2 or oracle connection and then say yeah, right. uh, i'm actually uh adam or guna and then right, the right, database right. will know that and there is like pr the proprietary informations where you can fetch the data this is what we did but um yeah, yeah interesting and um so okay so we, you mentioned already kafka but um so it started like uh it is i think debezium is first let's let's consider what you should consider Postgres, I think, is more popular, right? So we have Postgres, and there is like logical, how it's called, logical decoding. Decoding, decoding right? Yeah. So, yeah. In, in, I mean, in terms of popularity, I guess MySQL and Postgres are the most yeah. um, commonly used uh, or the mostly used connectors, um, yeah. which we have because also they were like the first ones who were there. Yeah. And uh, so in case of uh, Postgres, so you uh, have to install or or activate the logical encoder and there is, I assume, a binary or plugin which you have installed, right? Right. So Postgres is a little bit special. Um, so the reason or the thing there is you need to install by, well, one of those logical decoding plugins in the database itself. So this is something which runs in the database itself. And then this one exposes the um, change data from the right ahead log. And now, so traditionally, we used to have just one, which is called decoder buffs. So it's based on the uh, protocol buffer um, uh, format. So this uses this binary protocol buffer format to send the events from the database to our connector. And now the problem is in cloud environments, so let's say Amazon RDS, um, typically you cannot just install any logical decoding plugin, right? They don't, they won't let you install any anything like that to just get the, the Postgres service on RDS as this. So we added support for uh, two others. So the, the next one was, uh, which is called var to json um, So this is using JSON, so it's a bit more verbose, but for instance, this is installed um, on RDS, so we can take advantage of the there. And now just recently in the latest Debezium version, we added something, uh, also we added support for something called a PG output. And this is um, pretty cool because this actually comes with Postgres as of version 10 and later out of the box. So um, you don't need to install it if you are on 10 or later. And now that as we support that, this gets quite a bit easier because you don't have to install anything in the database. Okay, so the PG output is a banner which comes already with uh, with Postgres. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And uh, then you have to run it in a process, let's say in a Docker container, you have to start it as well. And then uh, it is activated. You mean the, the logical decoding plugin? No, the um, PG, PG this, output. Yeah, I mean, so this, no, this really runs in the context, in the process context of the database itself. So okay. um, if, if you start Postgres, this one will be running. Okay. And uh, then... Uh, your Debezium plugs into the into what in Postgres? So what you are doing exactly? 
So what we are doing is we uh, create what's called a replication connection in case of Postgres. And now this one really connect creates a physical connection to the database. And, um, well, then PG output or whatever logical decoding plugin you have, it um, pushes the events over this connection. So we subscribe to that. And then whenever there's like a new event, we will be invoked and we can, you know, deal with it, convert it, send it to Kafka and so on. So you, you are actually using the same channel what you would usually use in master slave replication, something like this, right? Exactly, right, exactly. So it means you, you only need the logical decoding for the actual decoding of the binary data from the database. Otherwise, you wouldn't understand what's going on through. Exactly, exactly right. So this is really, um, this deals essentially with the formatting of the events, you, so you could say. So the decoder buffs, this is using protocol um, um, protocol buffers, so it's very efficient. The PG output, I think it's also binary-based internally. Um, and uh, No, actually, it's not binary, um, but it's, it's an efficient format. Let's say, and then what to JSON? Well, that's that's JSON, right? And so we have those different representations. We need to interpret them, and then we but but the, the but, in, but in theory, you could uh, write something in Java, so you could connect to the to the replication part, receive all the events, and understand them and convert them to whatever you like. It would be also technically possible, right? Um, you mean you could uh, somehow read the actual transaction log format yourself? Is that what you're saying? No, uh, you could, as my understanding is in Postgres, uh, you are opening the replication channel. So and then you oh, will, yeah. then you will receive some kind of binary right. stuff which you don't understand. So you could actually connect from Java via plain sockets, receive the stuff and then try to write a Java converter to understand, to convert that to JSON. It just would be also you, Well, you, 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 I guess you could, right, yeah. Just for, you know, from the uh, high-level architecture. So what it means is actually, uh, in case of Postgres, and I think, uh, is MySQL similar to this? You also um, use the replication, my... replication channel? Um, so what we you, we use a library there, which is um, well, the, uh, just the build log client uh, library, um, and this is, it establishes the connection for us. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's it's semantically it's the same, but we really just we you know we go to this library and then we get an eventing API from that. So it's a bit easier to use, I guess. So so the the whole flow would be so the uh, we do insert update and uh, and mm -hmm. then commit and then the commit state the database will flush the uh, memory to uh, to a kind of persistent lock or store and uh, all the databases then will uh, call their own infrastructure because they would like to replicate and I would even assume they're calling that bef before commit happens because you would like to you know. To, to push the data out and commit at the same time. So uh, almost uh, like uh, two-phase commit, I would say, is, uh, almost is not two-phase commit, uh. one resource. And you could properly uh, set up that, right? Because uh, you could you could specify whether the commit has to wait until the data is replicated or not. This is the general Postgres setup, Ooh. I would assume. Right. I mean, so I have to be honest, I'm not exactly sure about that detail, but usually the semantics fast is we, we just get to see committed transactions. So if something is rolled back, um, we don't get to see it. This can depend a little bit. So for instance, in Oracle, there's a, a way where we would also see um, non-committed events, but um, and also in MySQL, it can sometimes happen, but usually, I mean, we just care about what has been committed, right? That's yeah. the interesting stuff for us. Yeah. So, and, uh, so what it means is um, you you don't have to implement a lot of binary stuff. So you, you your work is mainly in Java, right? Absolutely, right. So this is really 99% in, in Java. The one exception is the 
this decoder buffs plugin, which I mentioned for Postgres, because this is written in C. Uh, well, it needs to run in Postgres, um, and it's linked into that. So, but that's the one exception. Otherwise, all we do is really in Java. Mm -hmm. um, and this was wrote by you, written by you, or the decoder buffs? Yeah. Um, no, actually, this was written by another person from the open source community, and cool. they had that on on GitHub. And at some point, um, well, we created a fork of it because we needed some features, and this uh, other this upstream one wasn't um, maintained anymore. And I think by now it's like officially archived on GitHub, and they even point to the Debezium fork as the one which is um, um, the active version of that one. Okay, so now uh, in case of Postgres, so we open the channel. The PG output is responsible for formatting, or you had said uh, well to JSON for uh, converting right. the binary internal data to JSON. And uh, what is the default formatting of PG output? Also JSON? Uh, no, it's it's a um, it's a well, it's it's a specific protocol with um, well you you can read it up on the Postgres page on the Postgres okay. documentation. So it's like um, you, you you see okay now this is one byte with the event type. So is it an event an update or a delete okay. or something? Then the next um, you know n bytes represent the table name and this um, kind of structure. Like so this. so you open so the first thing which happens in Debezium is you open a client Java socket, connect to the thing, receive the PG output format then try to format it in something, I would say, intermediary format, which is understandable by the Bezium internally, to be able to mm -hmm. push it to different formats like JSON, CSV, or whatever, I would assume, right? Right. So, um, I mean, going one step back, so we don't really work at the, at the socket level, so we really use a, the Postgres connection API, um, or maybe even just the JDBC connection API to okay. establish a, a JDBC kind of connection. Then, well, in case of Postgres, it's a bit Postgres-specific, but that's that's the level of interaction. But yes, then, so once we get the event, so let's say in PG output, we do this interpretation, then we create an internal structure of the events. And then, um, well, we, we create what's called the Kafka Connect record. So the idea there is Apache Kafka itself, that's the messaging broker, right? So this um, holds the topics and so on. And then there's this side project, or let's say another project of the Kafka umbrella, which is called Kafka Connect. And Kafka Connect is a runtime and also a framework for developing and running such connectors. So you have source connectors and sync connectors. So source connectors get data from somewhere into Apache Kafka. So that's what Debezium does. And then there's sync connectors, um, um, which take the data from Kafka and write it to another database or Elasticsearch or a data warehouse and so on. And now for us, uh, what we have to do is we create this Kafka Connect um, source record in our case. And that's like a semantic description of the data, right? So you have this actual struct, and this can be like a nested structure and so on. So this describes what's the old version of the record, what's the new version of the record, and then some metadata like the timestamp and so on. Mm -hmm. And then there's also a schema associated with that. So um, th this describes, okay, those fields in the struct, they are of those types and so on and mm -hmm. they are optional or not optional and um, then there's this notion of um, converters in Kafka Connect so they take 
this um, semantical source record structure and convert it into something which then is transported um, to Kafka and which is stored in the topic because Kafka itself, the, all the data is just um, binary data, right? So mm -hmm. byte arrays. So you have different converters which are there provided out of the box um, so for JSON or for using Avro as a binary representation. Some people in the Debezium community, they, for instance, use, uh, again, Google protocol buffers at this place. Um, so this is, again, a pluggable um, pluggable aspect of Kafka Connect. Really. But these are the, the, the exactly the same converters you would use in Kafka having producers and consumers. So this is what you are, these converters, um, right? It's not, it's not exactly that because um, I think in the if you use the Kafka regular consumer producer, I think there's called serializers. Um, but yeah, it's pretty much the same thing and it works at the same semantics. But the converter API, this is, um, yeah, a little bit um, specific to Kafka Connect. Oh, a Kafka Connect specific, okay. Because usually you have the like the Cerities, if you have exactly, the Kafka streets, exactly right. serialized, exactly. serialized, and there are low-level converters in the producers. So, uh, but I think exactly. It's so it's really it's like the same thing semantically, okay. right? Okay. I mean, the one thing is the those uh, converters we use, um, they deal with the source record or the sync record um, types in their API definitions, but then the same thing would happen. Okay. So uh, now, technically, what it means is uh, Kafka Connector comes with own server, service, or runtime, which is which runs in different process to anything exactly. else. So it just boots, and uh, this is like Kafka infrastructure, and this uh, starts your JDBC Postgres driver in this case. The Postgres driver with, uh, not Postgres driver, um, a small app with the Postgres driver. And I think in right, Kafka Connect, the Bison Connector, really? yeah, the Bison Connector. And in Kafka Connect, works like you have to put a jar, and which is recognized by Kafka Connector and started, right? It's like the like more or less plugin architecture. So, you yes, exactly. Yeah. So you can, um, I mean, so it has two different modes. So it, there's the standalone mode and then the clustered mode. Um, so this can again be um, clustered, which comes in handy if you think about failover mm -hmm. and um, this kind of stuff. And then yeah, there there's a plugin concept. There's so essentially just a plugin path um, and you put the connector archives into this plugin path um, so I mean we need to have the, our Debezium connector jars but then also let's say the Postgres driver and maybe some other dependencies so this all is part of an archive which is our deliverable mm -hmm. this goes into the plugin path then Kafka Connect will pick it up from there and then the next thing you need to do is you need to actually instantiate an, an instance of the connector, right? So there you say, okay, now I would like to have an instance of the Debezium Postgres connector. I would like to point it to this particular database using those credentials. And maybe I'm just interested in a subset of the table so you can um, you can exclude or include the tables or maybe even just columns. Um, so you configure this particular connector and then, well, Kafka Connect will um, instantiate it and, and run it for you. But this uh, connector configuration is connector specific, not the, not the Bezium specific, right? So um, the way it works is Kafka Connect has a REST API, and you mm -hmm. essentially you, you post a JSON mm -hmm. request with your configuration. Mm -hmm. And well, there are some parts which are well common to all the connectors. Let's say there's um, you got to give the name of the of the connector type, so that's a fully qualified Java class name. And then, well, the actual configuration, this of course is specific, right? So, mm -hmm. um, there, I mean, there's, we try to unif to have this unified across the different um, Debezium connectors we have. So let's say the username property, that's always the same, no mm -hmm. matter which connector from Debezium you use. But then there might be some other options which are, which are specific to 
Postgres. So coming back to this logical decoding plugin, well, there would be an option for the Postgres Debezium connector, which allows you to say, okay, I would like to use PG output, bar to JSON or whatever. Okay. So what it means if I would run in embedded mode, I would just start your connector directly without the... <laughs> Right. So embedded mode, exactly. That's an interesting thing. So that's an alternative. Um, so in a way, what we do there is we essentially do what otherwise Kafka Connect would be doing. So we take the connector, we, we run it, and then this allows you to run this within your own application. So you use really the dependencies, the debezium dependencies as dependencies for your project, the jars as dependencies for your project. And then, well, we just will invoke any... Uh, a registered callback method for you. And then you can essentially do whatever you would like to do with the change event. So you do, it's not bound to Kafka in this case. Um, so I know people use this um, for all kinds of scenarios. So either to send just to other brokers like um, Kinesis, let's say, or Amazon Kinesis or, or Nuts, all these uh, kind of things. So we even have demos for that on our um, GitHub example repo, so you can see that. But then you also could use this, um, for instance, um, and this might be interesting to, to you actually, to, uh, to just listen to the events in your own application and for for instance, to invalidate a cache. So mm -hmm. let's say you work with um, JPA and Hibernate and you have the second level cache there. Um, now, what could happen is if there's some data change which is bypassing the application, so let's say you do some kind of data patch right in the database, well, um, the second level cache entry for that also must be invalidated, right? Otherwise, your application would continue to read stale data mm -hmm. from the cache. Mm -hmm. So this is an interesting use case for the embedded mode because then you could listen to the change events and then you see, okay, this is an event um, which changes a specific record. So now I go and invalidate this from the second level cache of my application. Okay, so I could actually uh, wrap it like a CDI bean and boot it from there. And then uh, give you, for instance, the a callback and convert the Kafka event to into CDI event, and then I I, I would right. have a, a nice way. Uh, uh, so I, I get the event distribution inside my app with the changes exactly. of my database. Exactly. So that's um, that's. I mean, that's one of the use cases. I think there's more for that, but I think that's a very interesting use case um, for that. Um, we have we have a demo for that on a, a, a blog which. Maybe we can add to the show notes so you yeah, sure. can see how this exactly works. I mean, there's there's one tricky thing there. So your your own application, it also writes to the database, right? So this also will trigger change events. And of course, now you must not invalidate the second level cache if this is a change which your own application did, right? Because, well, in this case, Hibernate would have taken care of the cache update. Um, so you need to tell your own transactions apart from external transactions, which you can do if you essentially keep track of the transactions you have issued. Um, and this all is, is shown in the blog post. So in one of my current projects, what we are doing, uh, uh, we have a, like a JavaScript client with web components and uh, regular, uh, actually Quarkus or a Quarkus backend. Oh, wow. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, it was started with uh, Java and we migrated in three hours to Quarkus. Works, works great. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, And uh, because of the client requirements, it's a little bit strange. Uh, whatever we do in the client, the changes have to be replicated to all other clients. So what we actually do is we uh, have a REST one-way REST calls, and the okay. the uh, the back channel are WebSockets and always WebSockets to all clients. So what mm -hmm. it basically means, um, I'm I'm changing the state in my own app, and the yeah. uh, and the notification that something changed to to me and to all others comes through WebSockets, like a, mm -hmm. a little bit CQRS, right? So what I could actually yeah. do here is, is okay the back channel is a complete different microservice 
it just listens, you know, to uh, to let's right. say the the database changes and then uh, it converts them to WebSockets. Period. So this would be like exactly. this would be simplify my current, for instance, project. This would be the concrete use case I could use. I would just yeah. you know, replicate all events regardless whether are my events or not. It would I be see. yeah yeah yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, we 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 played a bit with weapons with uh, WebSockets too. So there's also I think a demo around that which shows yeah how you can propagate the change events to WebSockets uh, or via WebSockets to all clients or or let's say GraphQL subscriptions right that's in a similar ballpark. Um, yeah, so this is really opening up lots of um, possibilities. And now a heretical question: So why Debezium uh, <laughs> and why I shouldn't use you no know, application and scheduler and just schedule every sec- second my table? Ha. Huh. Okay, that's a good question. Um, so there's different reasons why I think the transaction log-based CDC change data capture is advantageous. So one of them is um, if you do this polling you describe, you are just never sure you would actually see all the changes, right? So, I mean, let's say you have two updates in a, in a close time and now you do your polling. It just might happen those updates happen between two of your polling attempts, so you would just um, see the, the latest state, right? So you would miss out this one uh, or any further, any previous update. So this could or could not be a problem depending on your use case. Then, well, you need some way to identify which records have changed since you polled for the last time, right? So you need to have some sort of mark column, some timestamp or something. Um, so there's this impact on your model, which you don't have if, if you do the, the log-based CDC. Um, you wouldn't get any deletes, right? So if something gets deleted from a table, well, if you do polling, um, there's just no way you would see it. Um, so that's the thing. And you also get deletes um, from the logs because they are appended as an event to the to the transaction log. And finally, I mean, there's this this conflict there you have, uh, you want to do this polling loop you describe um, pretty often, so to minimize the chance you lose changes or you miss changes, right? But then this also creates like a substantial load on the database at some point. So you re- repeatedly run this query and maybe the DBA at some point says, please, please don't do that. Whereas you don't have this kind of performance um, overhead with the log-based approach. Yeah. And it becomes uh, extremely complicated because you have the same problem if you, so back then we tried to replicate the state bet- between clients and the application server, let's say Hibernate cache. And uh, yeah. yeah, the removes are the problem. And uh, even something like do insert, remove, insert, right? And if yeah. I if I insert with the same data, which can happen, and remove was uh, happened between, I will pull in interval which is larger than the set of uh, the transactions. Right. Then I will miss everything, so I wouldn't see any changes in the database. Also, something happened, and this is exactly. actually a no go for for audits, right? Because if I have absolutely, yeah. So this so this is uh, uh, here. You know the polling stuff sometimes, but actually polling is way harder than previously assumed. And with your connector, yeah. it's a clean solution because you see every transaction, actually. Exactly, right. So, I mean, sometimes people uh, start with that and then they figure, okay, it's not um, not enough. Um, I mean, the one thing is, well, this would work with any kind of JDBC database, really, right? Whereas in case of Debezium, well, if we need to have a connector for each of them. So that's the challenge there. But we um, try to expand our footprint there. Um, so there will be, for instance, DB2. So actually, IBM guys are working on that right now. Um, so we hope really to have um, all these substantial or relevant databases covered. Oracle is also on the horizon, right? <laughs> yes, so Horizon just describes it well. So um, this is a bit tricky because there's no 
um, API, which we, which is free to use mm -hmm. um, and which would allow us to do what we need. Mm -hmm. So we currently have support for Oracle, but um, we use a library which um, is called Xtreme, and mm -hmm. it's not part of the Oracle database license itself, so you need to license that separately, and it's costly. Um, so some people use it, but, um, well, that's a problem. And um, now... Well, someone from the community is looking into alternatives. So there's um, well different ways one could probably do it, and they're exploring this and they're working on it. And well, I um, we see how it goes. I hope they come up with something. What could work is because uh, what could work, so just a uh, rough idea, is the uh, all the backup solutions, right? Because the backup solutions have to 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 read the yeah. the logs and translate into something else. So I have no no idea whether there is an open source backup solution for Oracle. But uh, yeah, this could. Work, right? Yeah, we, we we have been looking into different ways. It's um, so far nothing really came up. Which I mean, I mean, there's this one package which is called Log Miner, and which essentially is a package which comes with Oracle, which gives you access to the logs. So that's what um, those folks from the community are currently exploring. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, I hope it cool. goes out. And Oracle has an own solution. I think it's called Golden Gate, right? Something similar. Exactly, exactly right. And uh, it's exactly that. So you, even if you use this library, Xtreme, you need to have a Golden Gate license. Um, ah, okay. This is what I knew. So, okay. And, yeah. uh, and what about Microsoft SQL Server? So we do have that. So um, there's um, a, a CDC feature coming with SQL Server, I think, starting at the enterprise um, version. And this is what we are based on. And I mean, most folks in production have enterprise or even better. So um, then they can use that. Okay, cool. So, um, so what it basically means, uh, Debezium is uh, Kafka dependent, so it, it bases fully on Kafka, and and the embedded solution is just a wrapper around the Kafka connector, more or less, right? Right, um, exactly. So that's what we currently do. So, um, I mean, um, using the embedded mode, you you know, you can do different things. There's also, um, um, maybe I've heard about Apache Pulsar. Yeah, exactly. This is um, what I wanted to um, ask you, because uh, get, so, and getting more and more popular, have, and this is what... Yeah, right, exactly. And they have um, they have built-in Debezium support. So there's um, oh. something similar to or comparable to Kafka Connect, which uh, I think is called Pulsar IO, um, mm -hmm. if I remember correctly. And they even bundle the Debezium connectors with Pulsar IO. So if you are on, on Pulsar, you can use it out of the box even. And then what we are also exploring, we want um, to, we think about having um, like a standalone service um, for the business. So essentially it would take the embedded mode and then this would run as its own runtime. So maybe based on Quarkus and then it would be an own process. And then again, there would be like an outbound um, plugin SPI. So then you could configure this service and you could say, okay, I would like this, you know, to send changes to this rest endpoint or send it send changes to this kinesis um, um topic and so on so that's uh, also something which we explore yeah actually quarkus would be perfect for that right because uh, yeah yeah absolutely so we um we definitely would would would, ba would base it on on quarkus i'm not even i'm not quite sure whether we could run it natively at least initially but even running on the jvm it would have many advantages and this would definitely be the perfect runtime so we could use i mean all the apis which 
exists there, right? For micro profile, for monitoring and metrics and, and so on. So this would be a very interesting um, approach. Is there demand or are you thinking about uh, sync connectors from Debezium? Because if you read from Postgres, you can also yeah. write to Postgres on the other side and you would have a replication or data warehouse, data, you know, transformation stuff like yeah. that. So, um, I mean, the, that's really a nice uh, thing about Kafka Connect, that it is like this rich ecosystem of connectors. And th so there's pretty much a sync connector for, for, for everything. So there's HABC ah, yeah. sync connector and Elasticsearch sync connector. So, so far, we didn't see um, the need really to come up with um, sync connectors. Um, I know some of the sync connectors, for instance, there's the MongoDB connector. They even support um, or have some support for Debezium's event format. So to, just to make this a bit easier to use. So the reason there is, well, in our case, we create this complex event structure, right? So this this has like the old row state, the new row state, this metadata, um, this is, you know, the database name and position the log file and so on. And then many of the sync connectors, they are just interested in the current state of the data which they should write to whatever system they support there right so let's say the jbc sync connector this one really just wants to have what is the new row state in our change events and um so we provide um a message transformation for that so that's another notion of kafka connect which allows you to modify messages um either before they are sent into kafka or after they are taken out of kafka and now we have this one transformation there which just takes this new row state from the division change events and which would just propagate that one to the sync connector so it can write the update or insert in the JDBC database. Um, but this is another step you need to configure, right? So when you set up the sync connector, you need to set up this message transformation. And so for instance, in case of MongoDB, this is not needed because, well, there's um, built-in support for Debezium change event format. So they know, okay, this is a Debezium event, so we know how to handle it. Yeah, the... Um... Sync connectors are actually very easy to write because you don't have you know you don't have to hook to a database. You could just exactly. use, you could you could just use your straight JDBC driver and just uh, generate insert or updates, and you are you are golden basically. Exactly. So this is um, not 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 too hard to do. Exactly. Yeah, but uh, there are almost no source connectors for database because it is a, a low level work which uh, with some effort to, to do to do it right, and uh, therefore you know where Debezium shines right. Exactly right. So that's um, that's that's the idea. <laughs> we, so we do just tricky engineering and all the hard work, and then people can just use them and enable all those um, data pipelines. Yeah. So now, uh, so killer use case of, of the whole thing. So w w what we actually get with uh, Debezium database and and Kafka is a system where a database or database table uh, is converted to a stream of events, which right. are persistent and uh, consistent. It means uh, the order of events is is, uh, is there. So um, this is of configuration, but I mean, you, we could do this because of Kafka. And, yes, uh, I mean, this this relates to the partition. Partition, right, exactly. But, um, partition and consuming groups, yeah. but uh, this is like Kafka thing. And, uh, yeah. and nothing gets lost usually. And, um, well, yeah. Let's 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 remove the usually. So we are very keen that um, no data ever gets lost. Otherwise, if it happens, it's like a super blocker bug, and we are looking into it right away. Yeah, uh, this is 
now let's take a look at that. So if I would write a embedded Kafka connector and I will die, will uh, will I read? Would I be able to read the old event? So there's something like offset in Kafka or this it's, event? Yeah. No, exactly. There's there's the notion of offset. So the way this works, um, so we send the change events to Kafka, and um, then regularly the offset, um, which essentially is the position in the source uh, log we have read, um, this one is committed. So this means if the connector crashes and it gets restarted, it will get uh, to read the last committed offset and then we can continue to read the log from that position. So this, I mean, so this has two implications. So the one is, this is always um, subject to at least once semantics, right? So it might be if a connector dies and it gets it gets restarted, you, as a consumer, you would see certain change events another time. Um, but usually that's that's fine. It's quite easy to deal with those duplicate events. So that's, that's the one thing. And the other thing is, um, well, you need either to be careful to not discard any transaction logs on your primary database um, um, as long as um, the connector is not running, so, mm -hmm. right? So let's say um, your connector is not running because you are doing an update to a new Debezium version. You, <coughs> you must make sure that the transaction logs um, are not removed um, during that time, right? So that sure. when the connector gets restarted, it, the logs are still there. And then on the other hand, we also must make sure that we don't keep logs uh, for too long. So for instance, in Postgres and uh, the logical decoding there, uh, we, ac we actively acknowledge the offsets we have consumed. So this then allows the database to remove those logs um, if they are not needed otherwise. Um, but for instance, in the past, if there was like a bug and this acknowledgement didn't happen for some reason, well, then the transaction logs on the database would pile up, um, which of course is a, is a problem, right? But then um, I think this is mostly, or this is sorted out, so it doesn't happen yeah. anymore. But is, it, is this also true if I would write my own embedded connector? So if For I, the embe so, embedded mode, I, I run uh, in embedded mode. Uh, yeah. Then if I die, uh, are the events yeah. lost because I forgot to read them, or what is the semantics there? So in the embedded mode, you need to take care of the offset um, persistence yourself. So essentially, there's an, an SPI you need to implement for that. Um, so in the simplest case, you would you know, have like a file-based implementation of this contract. And then again, the embedded engine will call you using this contract and say, okay, this is the offset, please, however you do it, persist it. And then if you get restarted, well, we would read from this um, from this API, the latest offset, but you would have to take care of that. So I, I think most of the people, they use a file-based approach, but you could, again, think about something based on the database or etcd or whatever. Right. So, and this is one offset per database, right? Because this is like global, or is this one offset per table? No, per database. Uh, no, it's it's uh, um, it's essentially yeah, it's a global thing, w yeah. which is, is scoped for the connector. So yeah, the database. Yeah, and this is one one number, or is this more information I have to store? Um, it depends on on the specific connector, so that format Post is different. So um, I don't know. Let's say in Postgres, it's like the LSN number, uh, the log sequence number, and in, in, okay. uh, in SQL it's some. Um, Forgot the exact name to be honest. It's something different in my, in MySQL. Maybe it's a GTID and, but, but and similar, some similar log stuff. file name. Right. It's. I mean, semantically, it's always the same concept. Yeah. It's a position in the log file. How it is structured. Um, this is different. So you would get a map essentially um, with uh, one or more properties, which um, yeah. unambiguously describe this position. That is actually great news. So what it means, I I could write my own embedded connector 
and uh, write the stuff, let's say, in database. Because if I would write to flat file, there's the issue, you know, if I'm running on Kubernetes or Docker, where to store the file, right? Right. So if there's a database, like, the, let's see, four, four columns, I can write it. Then if yeah. I die, I just op- see what was the offset and just then proceed with my reading. Exactly. And nothing gets lost. So this is uh, actually a nice solution because it's simple and uh, actually bulletproof. Yeah, def- definitely. And uh, right, I mean that's, that's the idea. I mean for, for Kubernetes, I always was hoping maybe you could do it. Someone would explore how to use etcd and persist it there because I feel that would be like a good um, use case. So that would be interesting to see. Yeah, etcd or persistent volume or whatever you would have yeah. to do. But if if you know in all my Java apps, we always have database, so I could just use a database, and yeah, uh, right. And then I will see my own event which uh, uh, does the backup, right? Exactly. That's the <laughs> that's the thing. So you need to fill that one out. <laughs> no, no problem. So um, okay. So and um, so this is actually incredible. So the first thing what we can do is you could of course uh, you know the, the simplest possible thing is storage to Kafka, create a consumer group. Then you have a load balance, let's say, Quarkus or Whitefly application servers or Java application servers. Every application server listens to uh, the uh, Kafka topic one-to-one, converts the thing to WebSockets. And the cool story is now we uh, we have, let's say, five WebSocket servers and the client can choose yeah. one because the event, uh, would, it is just, you know, read once, I would say, and then it's going to be published. And this will be like right. the, the, the simple, simple possible, you know, conversion like notifications to clients for, like, let's say, how to call it, reactive or, yeah, Absolutely, interactive, yeah. In, interactive uh, clients. This was the first one. And uh, also interesting use case, uh, what comes to mind is just using, you know, Kafka streams. And then you can, you know, React to insert updates and uh, and with Kafka tables you you can have you know uh, like uh, aggregations in in real time right yeah so right so that's definitely uh, something which I really um, think is a great combination so um, yeah CDC and then Kafka streams or DBs and this you together this is really super powerful. Yeah, let's do so many things. So, um, I mean, the all the stuff which I mentioned, right? Where we do this enrichment of the change events with the transaction scoped metadata from mm-hmm. a different topic. So that's something you can easily do in Kafka streams. I did. Uh, so that's a demo I do, usually do in my talk. So the idea there is, I have um, let's say e-commerce application, and it um, there's a table with purchase orders, right? So new purchase orders come in, and now you're interested in the let's say in the revenue per category in some sort of time window, right? So again, that's something you can easily do in Kafka streams. So um, what's the revenue of the furniture category in the last hour? And this is um, this is what I yeah show. It's, it's not too much code uh, with Kafka streams. And then actually, yeah, I also show, uh, stream the results of that to um, WebSockets clients. And then I have a little chart in the browser running and the columns, you know, they go up and down as the revenue um, of the different other categories um, changes. Mm-hmm. Um, also, um, somehow interesting story, probably, um, I would say, probably, let's say, uh, 10 years ago, probably, with Java, Java 6 or Java 7, I was constantly asked, do you have any, you know, like, real-world examples? And the problem with me is yeah. uh, lots of NDAs, so it's really hard, you know, to tell, oh, right, yeah. to tell about clients. So what I did, I um, I needed, like, a statistic system for my blog. So, okay, I, I would like to see, you know, how, how, how often an article was read because I had the impression that my blog right. is just too popular and wanted to see what are the actual numbers. And um, 
I've wrote back then a very simple system, which uh, was a REST endpoint and the block engine reported the hits with the uh, titles of the blog posts. And yeah. it was stored in a database. And uh, this was, I think, Derby or H2. Derby, it was Derby. And uh, then I created uh, queries. And with the queries, I saw, you know, how popular the stuff is. And to see, for instance, the uh, one one uh, hour average and one the most popular one hour one day, I had a scheduler. So one minute scheduler mm-hmm. per minute per hour air per day. And then I noticed, yeah. uh, then I noticed the problem is uh, I have uh, lots of ideas about the queries. So I wanted to implement more and more queries, but I had to redeploy the whole system. So the, what I and then I look at that, and then I think it was. Java 8 came out, or this was uh, right after Java 8. And then I thought, okay, okay. what I could do actually is um, the database is not really needed. It's just statistics. So I use InfiniSpan or Hazelcast. Mm-hmm. I, I think I use both just for fun. Uh, and um, <laughs> and there were like uh, two nodes. So I wrote to one node and it was replicated to the other one. I wrote to one node and then read from the other one. And um, okay. And then the queries were basically Java 8 lambdas. So I had a CQRS architecture because uh, if I wrote to the first, you know, InfiniSpan, this writing was always the same. I didn't have to, to change the system, you know, at any time. And the reading stuff was replicated. So I had another instance where you can play with because if it crashes, I mean, ah, the, okay, qu- the, yeah. qu- the yeah. query server is gone, but uh, no one cares about that. The problem is if my block stops working, I got lots of emails, your your block does not work, which is a little bit annoying. Yeah. So uh, it's somehow mission critical to me. So, um, and the uh, the red part, so I play with that. And this is basically like it is right now. So, uh, and I, just for fun, I ported this to Quarkus and it works fine. So uh, it was a, yeah. n- n- a non-event. And uh, and now what what would I could do and I probably will do just for fun it works it works too good for five years or whatever but <laughs> um, let's imagine that so what I can do right now is I will take the first part right the writing part and convert yeah. all the HTTP events to Kafka events so now right. I have a Kafka topic and uh, what I can do I can for instance group uh, or this cons branch so branch the topic according to blog post. So what happens on the other side, I get multiple topics per uh, blog post, something like that. And then I could mm-hmm. actually do whatever you uh, what, what you said right now, use for instance um, uh, 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 K-tables to aggregate. I can have sliding window of one minute, so I will exactly. see you know the hits per minute. And then I will see sliding window of one hour, one day. So it, everything, you know, the, the, the functionality is the same, but, uh, yeah. but the... Um, but the architecture completely different and um and, and 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 more flexible and um but if this were let's say a legacy project i could do the same with debezium so let's say debezium had support for the database which uh, in my case was derby which doesn't matter but it's, i couldn't convert it to postgres then i could yeah. you know stick with the old solution then convert the uh, postgres events to let's say kafka events and then can do the right. same with uh, with Kafka right now. This would also like you know, converting from old architecture to a new yeah. one. Yeah, 
Yeah, uh, absolutely, and that's that's one that's a very common use case. So people have this legacy database, and they don't want to touch the application code which rise to that, um, but they are interested in the changes, what's happening there, and then well, they can set up the Debezium, and um, this really is transparent at the application level, right? So they don't need to change anything there, and then well, they could exactly do what 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 you described. So by the way, have you seen that there's an extension for uh, a Quarkus extension for Kafka streams as well? Yes. And it works perfect. So um, it, uh, how, it, how it would work with Quarkus is there are basically two annotations, incoming and outcoming, uh, incoming and outgoing, right? Incoming and outgoing. So um, mm -hmm. And uh, uh, very simple. You could have a method with two parameters. One parameter string in and let's say double out. And then you say incoming uh, is uh, one topic and outcoming the other one. And you can do in the method whatever you like. And uh, and uh, the data from one stream comes in, and then uh, right. you can convert this to let's say from you can convert the string to a number, and then yeah. do something. But, and then and then then yeah. flows out, and the configuration happens with microprofile config, so you can configure right. the yeah. So this is a a really nice I would say no code integration. So if you compare this with you know the origin Kafka, so you have to write a little bit more. And um, yeah, and you can even create topologies, do whatever you like. So I think this is very nice integration between right. Quarkus and Absolutely. Kafka. Absolutely. I mean, so that's that's the reactive messaging API you described, right? So this works with Kafka or MQP or, and, and other things. Um, and that, that, that's definitely, that's great. <coughs> but there's a, also an extension for Kafka streams specifically. So you use the Kafka streams API and then you can all those things like joining topics and maybe interactive queries, um, stateful operations, which you cannot easily do with the other API. Yeah, so okay. there's support for, so this, for that as well. So this API you're mentioning, this is the one where you have produced the topology, right? Exactly, right. So that's the, exactly where you produce a topology, a K-Streams topology, and then you work with K-Table, yeah. uh, K-Stream, and so on. And this also is supported. This works uh, on Quarkus. So this works also in native mode, um, which was a bit tricky to do because um, there's a dependency, RocksDB, which is used in, in uh, Kafka streams. And um, well, so this all now works out of the box also on native code and GraalVM. So that's cool. And what we just recently added is a um, dev mode support. So um, I I guess you have seen the dev mode in Quarkus where you just reload the page and it picks up your, your code changes there. Um, so you can have this kind of live coding experience. Mm -hmm. And now this also is supported for Kafka streams. So what you can do there is you can keep a producer running. So this just feeds messages to your um, input topics. And then um, maybe you have a consumer for your output topic and now your Kafka Streams application, it takes something from the input topics and it writes it to an output topic, right? And does some aggregation and, and mapping and so on. And now the dev mode support also is there and that means you just change the code of your pipeline, you hit save, and then right away the pipeline will be reloaded. And you, when the next message arrives, essentially you will see, okay, now this is what the pipeline is doing now, and you can see it in the output topic. So this is really a nice way to get very quick feedback as you work on such a pipeline. I think this happens recently, because before then I tried that in dev mode, and it yeah. worked, but it didn't recognize the Kafka changes. But So I have to kill exactly. this and restart, but the restart was like one second or two seconds or so. Doesn't matter. Right. So this is something which we just, uh, I think it was um, published two weeks ago or so for, for Kafka Streams. So it's not there yet in the reactive messaging API you described earlier, but it's um, supported now for Kafka Streams. 
Another interesting use case for Kafka uh, for Debezium and, and and Kafka is something like uh, how to call it uh, make uh, Hibernate Universe uh, obsolete or a little bit simpler because what, absolutely yeah yeah what do you, uh, what uh, Hibernate Universe is is like historization of records. So right. you see the recent record and then the whole history would happened. And the problem with that is always uh, the database itself because for me, also correct me if I'm wrong, but for me the database is like, uh, how to call it, like the uh, materialized view of a Kafka stream. So like in Kafka you see you know, the, the whole history and the database yeah. you see the, the recent state, the most recent exactly. state. And uh, in some finance applications or other applications would like to have, you know, the whole history and, and, uh, and uh, of the thing. And, and uh, Hibernate Universe, for instance, what it does is it, uh, you have like multi-dimensional search, I would say. You can search right. for key and the version. So you can say, give me all versions for the key or give me, you know, uh, uh, all versions for the key. Exactly. And you get a list back. But uh, you need to know more tables in the database. And the problem is in uh, the database grows because uh, you exactly. have to store all Absolutely. the historical data as well. And you now in projects, we had uh, the problems that you would like to keep, you know, the the uh, operational data and historical data separate because of performance reasons. But for Kafka, it's just natural because Kafka is a stream of events. And exactly. with, with right, that, right, you right. can you know you, you have the database as your recent state and Kafka as the historical data it can use, you know, for query data afterwards. So this would what what I will also see as an interesting use case. Absolutely, definitely. I mean, um, yeah, so with any library-based approach, be it Enverse or anything, so definitely, yeah, it creates more data in the database. I think even more important to consider is that um, it creates just more inserts in your actual transactions, right? So it yep. does not only write your actual data tables, but then it also needs to write the history entry. So this is just, um, there's an impact on the uh, um, on the latency, right? Um, and also, I mean, then there's some subtle issues. So for instance, if you use like a bulk uh, de uh, delete or a criteria um, bulk update, let's say, then Enverse just wouldn't be aware of all the affected entities, so then it would miss miss out on on those. Um, so and this, this is something which wouldn't happen by definition um, with the log based approach, right? So we get all the changes from the logs, so there's no way anything would be missed. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So and uh, so yeah. so just a, a broader topic, Kafka. So there, uh, what's funny in my project is like people consider like you know it's like oh GMS is like uh, way too complicated and is too enterprisey in this uh, no legacy. And let's use Kafka for that. And uh, the interesting story right now is, I don't know what your impression is, um, that the mo most developers confuse, you know, st streaming with messaging. Because if you have uh, JMS, this is this is complete inverse to Kafka. So what, what in, in Absolutely, yeah. with JMS, you send a message and you would expect it, the message, you know, that it disappears immediately after it was consumed. So um, I have two microservices. So I can send a message to one microservice, reliable messaging. This is like... More and more SMS, right? And Kafka for yeah. me conceptually is a database first. So uh, this is like you could uh, you could eliminate with Kafka most of the relational database in projects actually if you do it right. So uh, I, uh, so I'm not so sure about that one to be honest. I mean the, the, the 
way I see it really is like it's a commit log, right? And yeah. then one very important part which is missing for database is um, query capabilities, right? So yeah. you want to query your data based on, well, certain criteria. And that's just not something you cannot do with um, Kafka itself, right? So you mm -hmm. always need to have some sort of materialized view which you then can use for the query. You could do it with K-tables. So there's intact, so there's like SQL-like query. But I think even this is not less and less needed because if you think about this, what I, what we had with the my blog and with the statistics with Java 8 streams, and if you if you covered it this way, what's only is left over is a small portions for reporting, querying, or whatever. But I would say you could eliminate a large parts of the database. You can, um, you can join yeah, but streams. I mean, keep in mind also is uh, also Kafka streams actually uses a database underneath, right? So it, it uses rocks to be or whatever. Yeah, but um, you don't see it. So you know? it, you, you don't see it, but uh, that's uh, that's what I mean. Kafka itself, um, that's just one part of the story, I would say. Yeah, no, but what really happened uh, in my project? So we we did we did it. So if you if you do it consequently, Kafka. So you can have uh, Kafka is persistent. You can uh, it is replicated, and you can store lots of stuff mm -hmm. in 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 Kafka. And if you have Java eight lambdas, let's say, then everything dissolves. So what remains is just you know you need some interactive queries, or you need you know you would like to fetch some data from the table. But at the end of the day, uh, we have like a sync connector where it reads from one topic where yeah. with data whatever like in a database, and then we have in the database, but. The whole architecture changes. This is what I wanted to say with Kafka. Without, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I yeah. mean, uh, yeah, it, it, it opens up so many possibilities. What I, I mean, also what I would like very much is the aspect that the consumer is taking is in charge of saying where I would uh, where would I like to read from, right? So that's different than what you had with the traditional broker. So you can reread an entire topic and so on. So I think this, um, yes, that's just super flexible. Yeah, but uh, what you already did with the orders, right? So if you have one one topic you are reading and uh, converting the data and make some calculations and write to another topic. And uh, then you yeah. can, a microservice can read from this topic and, and has already, you know, the, uh, what you did, uh, purchase or the volume per category Absolutely, or whatever. Yeah. And and with a database, you will need a database with table and queries. So uh, it nicely decouples the services and it's persistent. Uh, why why I'm saying that? Because uh, <laughs> I got some requests. Uh, uh, they they would like to have Kafka, but without persistence. You know, just as a nice replacement for JMS. <laughs> I was like, okay, we could even try you know to have JMS without messages just for fun and see what happens. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah, interesting. So what is on your on your roadmap with uh, with Dbzoom? What's on your roadmap? Um, so currently we are going to the 1.0 version. So that's an important milestone. What it essentially means is, um, so we, we are not planning to add too many features for that. What it more means is we are stabilizing the messaging format. We are stabilizing the structure of the configuration options and so on, because then we don't want to break. And also right now we don't want to break any consumers, right? But um, uh, after the 1.0, we would be even more uh, considerate to do that. So that's the one thing which happens next then in terms of connectors so there will be a db2 connector as i mentioned um then folks from the community are working on cassandra support so that's very interesting mm -hmm. um i think we will yeah we will definitely have this um, um standalone mode which i was mentioning so that you would have your own debesium service um, there's, um, we didn't talk about it actually, there's this outbox pattern, um, mm -hmm. so we want to have better support for that. So the idea there is, um, 
Well, if you capture changes from your actual tables, so let's say your purchase order table, and then you stream those change events into Kafka or whatever, it kind of exposes the internal structure of your data model, right? And mm -hmm. maybe depending on use case, that's something which you don't feel like you want to do it because the data is consumed by another team and maybe you just don't want to ex expose the internal table structure. And this is where this outbox pattern comes in. So the idea there is the writing application, it not only updates its own business tables, but then it also um, creates a message structure. So let's say a JSON structure or something like that. And it writes this one into a dedicated table Mm -hmm. So the outbox table, and this is done as part of the same transaction. And then Debezium is used to capture the changes just from this outbox table and send the events from this outbox table to, to Kafka topics. And there's already some support for that. Um, so, um, I mean, now you have different event types within this outbox table, right? So there might be a customer event, a purchase order event, and so on. So we, find we already have a routing component, which then takes the different event types and can send them towards different um, Kafka topics. But we want to grow the support for this pattern because this is something which, yeah, got some good traction in the community and people are very interested in using this. So for instance, we are thinking about having a Quarkus um, component, right? Um, because you also have to have the application side um, um, part of this pattern. So you need to have some component which actually does the insert into the outbox table, right? And mm -hmm. um, this could, for instance, be based on CDI events again. Um, so your application would just have to fire a CDI event and then this Quarkus extension could take care of writing to the outbox table and so on. So that's something we want to do. Um, yeah, many, many other things really. So um, we think about having some things um, around transactional grouping. So this comes again to this matter, um, comes back to this matter of ordering, right? So you have different change events and as long as they are within one partition, you have the um, ordering guarantee, but this doesn't apply if it goes beyond partitions or even beyond um, single topics. So we are thinking about publishing a dedicated, a specific topic, which just contains like some transaction um, markers. So, okay, this is a transaction which has started here, a transaction has ended and maybe it has touched those other tables. And then this should allow a consumer to correlate the events from, from run transaction. So yeah. that's also an important um, thing we want to explore. Yeah, this is uh, really useful because otherwise uh, you, if you have multiple partitions, uh, you don't have the order. With that, you could reconstruct the order if, if there is demand. Exactly. Right? That's that's and that's and that that requirement comes up um, yeah every now and then. I mean, so usually you are fine with just having the order for a specific record, and this is actually actually guaranteed because we send all the records for the same purchase order or for the same customer. They will all go into the same partition. So if you look at your customer one, two, three, you will see the change events for this particular customer in the right order. But then if you have change events from multiple customers and they go into different partitions, then, well, the ordering wouldn't be guaranteed. And, and sometimes this requirement comes up and there's definitely cases where you need it. So we want to support that definitely by, yeah, probably by exposing this kind of transaction topic, which then would let you reconstruct the ordering. Okay. Nice. And uh, will be the ever support for the Bizum from Red Hat? Would it be possible to buy it? 
Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So this is also something which um, has been started already. So currently there's a developer preview. So this is really the first level of um, um, yeah being a product at, at, at Red Hat. So you can come and you can try it out and you can give feedback and, and um, yeah get in touch with the um, solution architects and so on. The next step will be to have a tech preview for that, a technology preview. So this is the next level. There's then like support for this in place already. And we are looking to have um, some of the connectors as GA, um, so generally available um, early next year. But said, that said, it's all, um, you know, forward looking statements. So yep. um, it might change. <laughs> yeah, this <laughs> is the, the huge slides with lots of legal stuff on it, right? This is the uh, safe harbor statement. Exactly, right so yeah, that's, so... that's what I just gave you. Right? Yeah, so imagine the <laughs> but slides. So this for... is happening, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, really, there was. Um, we used to be just a community project, right? And I mean, of course, we wanted to have a product, and really, people very often came and hey, we would like to have support. And now, um, well, this is actually happening, so this is a great step. Support is very important. So some of my clients would just run software which is supported, regardless how good the community is. I think that's also very right. important for for a open source product. Uh, and and we are talking about you know databases and persistent data. So where you can right. get uh, optional support from from a vendor behind the solution. Yeah, absolutely right. So yeah, I think that's a. I mean, that's why we are going to the one version, and you know, um, being sure that the contracts are right and then all, all this um, stuff is happening. We took some. Um, we, yeah, we took it. We we took the time in the community to really bake it, and we got so much really useful feedback. People are using it on large installations. So I know of people they have. And just recently, somebody opened the, an issue and said, "Oh, we we got a couple of hundred connectors uh, running, and now we have this particular issue. So what can we do?" Um, so people are really validating this with huge installations. I know there's another company, they have like thousands of MySQL databases and they stream changes out of those with Demesium. And I mean, that's really very valuable feedback to have and we could improve the connectors, we could fix tons of bugs and now we feel, okay, it's at the time where we can, yeah, actually offer support for that. So perfect. So um, would you like to mention anything or... Um, no, I think um, um, we discussed all the interesting um, bits. Um, I, I would share a few links with you if you wanted to. Yeah. You can add them to the show notes. Absolutely. Do it. And uh, where people can find you? So the Bezium is the Bezium IO, right? Right. Uh, so that's that's the um, that's the, uh, pay, the web page. We just redid it. Loud, like there's now also much better documentation for different um, releases and so on. And then there's also all the links are there. There's a Google group. We have a, a chat room where people can ask questions. But really, the, the Google group is the best place, I would say, to get mm -hmm. help and um, come up with questions. Also, if people are looking for something to work on, this um, um, also always is nice to see, right? Um, so we have issues in Jira labeled with the easy starter label so if people look something for look for something to hack on they can do this and this actually is um, really something I'm very happy and excited about to see so I mean it's a Red Hat sponsored effort um, but really it's a huge commu community which is working on that so by now we have I think uh, almost 130 folks who have contributed to that um, some do like you know just a small fix and then that's fine but then others they really stick around and do longer uh, work for 
longer period of time, the Cassandra, commu the Cassandra connector, this is led uh, by folks from the Debezium community. So this is really the thing I'm so excited about to see that um, it's not just uh, the small team I work in, but it's really like a wider community and many people are working on this together. Uh, one interesting feature I thought about that was um, about if you are running something in Quarkus, let's say you decide to run the uh, connector in Quarkus, you could emit some uh -huh. Prometheus metrics for it. This could be interesting to know what happens behind the scenes or how many events are processed and whatever happens. So, uh, yes, uh, absolutely, definitely. Um, that's yeah. So currently we have JMX um, support, so you can uh, you know connect with Visual VM or whatever, mm -hmm. and then you would see the JMX metrics. Now JMX doesn't work in in Graal VM native mode, right? So if you were to use the connector um, in that kind of setup. Yeah, then having something around, let's say, um, microprofile metrics. Exactly. Um, so you can consume it with Prometheus. That would be definitely awesome. Yeah. Perfect. So, and what's your Twitter handle? You remember this? Uh, my personal one is uh, Gunnar Molling, at Gunnar Molling. And then there's also at uh, Debezium. So you should follow both. <laughs> so thank you. And we should talk, you know, next year about new use cases and uh, new features, if you like. Absolutely. Yeah, always um, a pleasure for me to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks.